It's Tuesday, April 28th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today for Motley Fool Funds, Tony Arsta, and for Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Tuesday, gents. Yo! Uh, earnings Palooza rolls on. We're going to talk Coach, we're going to talk Container Store, but let's start with the big fruit company. Apple's second quarter profits up 33%. A lot of numbers to go through, Tony, but uh, just one more that I'll throw out is that revenue in China up. 71%. A nice reminder that for all the companies that talk about how China is a great opportunity for them, and in theory that's true, it's another thing altogether to actually execute in China, and Apple is doing that in spades. Yeah, Apple uh, had a great quarter uh, in China and elsewhere. About half of that total growth came from just the growth in China, so that, that's remarkable. Um, and the amazing thing there is people are paying for the iPhones same price as they'd pay in the U.S. I know one of the theories a few years ago was that to get into China, you would have to sell a low-end phone. And Apple has proven that's absolutely not true. We'll see what happens with the refresh cycle if, if Chinese consumers buy a new phone in two years or if it's more like four or five years. But for now, those results are phenomenal. It's a great quarter for them. Overall, the iPhone grew 55% over last year. It's now almost 70% of the company's total revenue. Uh, other than the iPhone segment, the, the rest of the business, year-over-year year, revenue declined 9.5%, uh, mostly because of iPad. iPad has been doing terrible. But it just shows now how the iPhone is really the only thing at this point that matters. We'll see what the Apple Watch does in the future, but at this point, it is a phone company. How much of a concern is the iPad? Because that was the one thing that sort of, I don't want to say it leaped out at me, but that was the one thing I noticed, and there was there were some questions of, of Tim Cook, the CEO, on the conference call. Is that, how worrisome is that number? Because that seems like the sort of thing that I think if you're an analyst covering this company, or just an investor, a shareholder, mm-hmm. that's a number that you're probably bumping up on the list for the next quarter to see what do those sales look like. It's one of those numbers where, as it becomes worse, it becomes less important because Apple is smart and they're they're doing other things. So the iPhone sales, for example, have been growing strongly because of the larger screens, and I think they were a few years late on that, but now we're seeing explosive growth there. So in a way, that's eating into the iPad sales. On the other side of it, the cheapest MacBook Air is now, I believe, nine hundred dollars. Where a few years ago it was uh, twelve or thirteen hundred. So when you compare a nine hundred dollar MacBook Air to an iPad, I don't think Apple really minds losing those iPad sales if they can grow the other segments of their business. JMO, anything leap out at you? Um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, iPad sales, I think, is just uh, it's a it's an interesting one to note. I mean, Tim Cook. Seems very emphatic on the call that we will see uh, days uh, in the future where the iPad segment of the business will be growing again. I'm not terribly certain that's the case. I think Tony makes a great point there with the larger screen phones, sort of uh, you know maybe taking away from some of those iPad sales. Uh, and, and I mean the iPad just doesn't have the same sort of of replacement cycle uh, that that the phones command. You know, I mean I've, I've had this iPad I think now for for what 3 years and it still works wonderfully and I can't imagine that I need to get a new one anytime soon. And I also find that with my iPhone 6, I'm doing a lot more on that because of the bigger screen and so the iPad is is generally speaking just a more or less a consumption device at this point, but um you know, I mean they still they still see plenty of opportunities in the enterprise uh enterprise side of things. Their partnership with IBM is is uh you know opening up some opportunities there, but uh you know Apple Pay was the one I was 
paying attention to going in here, and they they didn't mention a whole heck of a lot, heck of a lot about it. But they did they did mention that it is uh, making progress. They've got Discover signed on as a partner now. Uh, Best Buy is offering Apple Pay in-app and is going to roll out in all their stores later in the year. And uh, also, a leading healthcare payment network is bringing Apple Pay to more than 50 major hospitals around the country. So you can use that for copays and stuff like that. So I, I just think Apple Pay is is one of those sort of you know longer term opportunities that, uh, that that has a you know a chance to have a profound impact I think, on this company's bottom line. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Apple Pay, both Apple Pay and the Apple Watch. Uh, really push things going forward. We we kind of have a good sense at this point of what the phone segment can do. But as more things like Apple Pay expand that ecosystem and make you more locked in, the same way iTunes did years ago, but now nobody uses iTunes. <laughs> there were there were uh, um, analyst quotes I saw saying, "Well, we're disappointed that they didn't share the watch numbers," and and the stock is down. I mean, not meaningfully, but it, it, this morning it. It popped. It hit a new all-time high, and then it has since dropped back down to the point where it's down maybe one percent or something like that. But like, like really, that's that's what's pushing the stock lower. Is a few analysts on Wall Street got their feelings hurt that they like were they were they expecting? We talked about that yesterday. Nobody was reasonably expecting them to break out those numbers, were they? No. You need to remember too. There's a big difference between people investing in the company and and analysts that are trying to get their year end bonus for having people care what they say. <laughs> so those those analysts are trying to make predictions and and be the ones with the right the right estimate, the right numbers, and none of that really matters if you own shares of Apple at this point. What's more important is that they raised their stock buyback and dividend program to $200 billion. So, that share count will be going lower, earnings per share will be increasing in the future. I was going to say, isn't it amazing that for a couple of years there, it seemed like one of the big questions around Apple was, is this company going to start paying a dividend? And now they're the biggest dividend payer, just in terms of dollar, they're the biggest dividend payer out there. Well, they're the biggest company out there. So right. One and a half percent, I believe, is their dividend rate. But with the share buybacks, which have already been eighty billion dollars in the last couple of years, and now they've authorized, I believe, it's around, another fifty billion. Yeah. So it's around sixty billion total authorization that they have at this point. So that's uh, that's meaningful. When you have one hundred and ninety-three and a half billion dollars on the balance sheet, you can make decisions like that without too much too much thought going into them. Yeah. In November of 2013, the uh, the container store went public at $18 a share, and on that opening day, the stock doubled. And today, shares are down more than 15% because fourth quarter profits came in lower than a year ago. And today also, Jason, that stock is now trading below its original IPO price. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it shows that you really need to look at these IPOs, and, and I, it really lends to the to, to my philosophy on just really not wanting to be a part of IPOs, rather keeping an eye on these businesses and, and kind of seeing what, what uh, the future holds for them. Because I think Potbelly is another good example of a stock that popped something like 120% the first day. And I mean, you look at the performance of that stock since then, the numbers have just been, <clears throat> excuse me, the numbers have been awful. Uh, the container store, I think, is just, it is, it, this is a unique sort of niche offering. <clears throat> Excuse me. That doesn't have the um, it doesn't have the market opportunity that I think some people might believe that it does. I mean, if you go through any of their conference calls, I mean, you'll see they they more or less <laughs> alienate the entire male population. I mean, their focus is on on sort of the affluent female, um, and they are talking about these big tickets. I mean, the the ticket for the 
for the they have the closet system. Yeah, this is like a, a contained home. That's a thing that that they have that uh, brings an average ticket size of two thousand uh, dollars. And now they're rolling out this uh, this new initiative called uh, TCS Closets, which is like you know contained home on steroids. I mean, this is just the really the, the Cadillac of closets, I guess, is the way to explain it. But but this is a ticket that's going to be closer to the ten thousand dollar range. So you know when I, I hear those numbers and I'm like, man, I don't even want to walk in that store. I've got no. That's a lot of money, right? And it's, and it's so much money that they're actually introducing a financing wing to the business now in order to be able to help customers finance the TCS closets initiative. Um, so again, I mean, they do something and they do it very well, but I just don't think it's something that's going to generate a whole heck of a lot of repeat business. And uh, and consequently, I mean, I think it's going to really put a cap on how, on how much this company can really grow. And to top it all off, I mean, their balance sheet is is not really all that great either. I mean, they're you know, a bit more than three hundred million in net debt, and they have a coverage ratio to cover the interest expense that hovers around two and two and a half. So, unless they're generating a lot of cash, they're going to have you know some concerns at least servicing that debt. And it wouldn't surprise me at all at some point to see them try to raise a bit more money if they intend to keep opening new stores. Which I question that strategy at this point too. Yeah, and Tony, all of this comes against the backdrop of an economy that is largely healthy. Yeah. You know, th- this would be one thing if we were talking about the Great Recession. If this, you know, if if, if these numbers were coming in, you know, oh nine or twenty ten, something like that. But against the backdrop of the economy, I in some ways that that strikes me as maybe the most concerning thing about all of this. Yeah, I, I know basically nothing about closet systems, but I assume it's like other furniture you buy, where home sales, uh, new home constructions are, are what really drives it. And uh, given these results, it is it, it it is difficult to blame it just on the overall economy. They did mention the weather a few times on the call. They said they had a 50-day sale, and most of the sales come at the end of the 50 days where they were hit with bad weather. So they did a, a extension period on the 50 days, and the final week of that extension period was hit by bad weather. Ugh. So weather is one of the things they blame. But I agree with Jason. It is a lot of debt. Their net debt to, to EBITDA is over four. For a retailer, that's very high. Uh, since you're selling things in all these stores, you need inventory. They've got over 100 days of inventory outstanding on their balance sheet. So it's it's a company where your returns on capital are, it's very difficult to get those up to attractive levels. Let's move on to Coach. Third quarter profits down 54%. Same store sales in North America down twenty three percent. And Jason, we were talking earlier. It wasn't like they had a really high comp because a year ago, same store sales in North America had fallen twenty one percent. So I, I'm I'm a little surprised that shares of Coach are only down about seven or eight percent because well, this, this, a- this looked like one of those quarters where. I was really struggling to find a silver lining for Coach. I think as of this taping, it's down maybe four and a half percent. Oh, okay. Right, so it's actually come back a little bit. But yeah, I'll, I'll just throw in. You, you mentioned same store sales down twenty three percent. Analysts were expecting same store sales to decline twenty one and a half percent. So they almost did it. It wasn't, <laughs> almost. wasn't too bad well, compared to those estimates. I mean, I think the the thing to focus on here is that actually, I think the market is not you know. Pulling a container store on Coach today because uh, management met their own expectations. I think that's always always worth remembering. I mean, you read through the release and the call, and management 
you know, this this fell within what they were looking for. And and so it wasn't, you know, surprising from them. And they are in the middle of, of really trying to, you know, become a lifestyle brand, which entails, you know, a lot of a lot of moving parts. They have the Stuart Weitzman acquisition that's going to be closing here soon, and that'll give them more, uh, you know, share in the sh- in the shoe space. They're signed on now to start introducing fragrances into the market. So you're going to see a Coach Cologne or perfume out there not too terribly long. Um, they they continue to see the men's business as a one billion dollar business by 2017. And you know they they have absolutely no liquidity concerns whatsoever. This is a balance sheet which isn't really you know just just good shape and and so they're they're doing I think things that need to be done closing down the underperforming stores. I mean this is kind of reminds me of the auto industry woes just just not too terribly long ago where supply and demand were so out of whack there was just way more supply than any, any than demand. Uh, and, and with Coach, I mean we can see them now trying to match supply up with demand a little bit a little bit better. So with sales. Falling 23, 24%. Well, inventory levels fell about that same amount too. So, you know, we don't see a, a bloated balance sheet from that perspective. And the stock just doesn't have, it's not, the market doesn't expect a lot from this company right now. The interesting thing I thought was I looked at Coach and Coors, Michael Coors, year to date. And Coach is up 7.5%, with Michael Kors down more than 16%. So it's just kind of interesting to see that dynamic play out there because it was last year where Michael Kors was just the darling of the market, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you look over the last few years, and <coughs> shares of Kors have dramatically outperformed Coach. And for that matter, Kate Spade as well has, has yeah. outperformed pretty substantially. And to go back to what we talked about earlier, Tony, you look at China. And not that they're imploding in China, but they did have their slowest sales growth in two years. Mm-hmm. So their their move to really grow the brand overseas is, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's it, it, again, I'm looking, I'm looking for a silver lining, and I'm not really seeing one anywhere. Yeah, everyone wants to grow in China, and it's a big opportunity. But if everybody wants to be there, then only so many can win. Uh, I do think that if you can time this right, get the turnaround right, it could be a good investment. When you look at uh, their gross margins, are as as good as they've ever been, more or less. The operating expenses, though, as sales have declined the last couple of years, have really stayed where they had been. The cost of running a store, of doing uh, marketing, stays high. So their their overall operating margins have been getting hammered the last couple of years. If they can do this turnaround successfully, get sales to start to creep back up, those margins expand. That's where you get the type of growth that investors enjoy seeing in companies like Coors and previously in Coach a few years ago. Well, and you mentioned the under they're closing about forty stores in North America. I saw some. I think it's going to be a total of seventy by the end of the year. Okay. Yeah, I saw like some some. That was the one thing I I saw this morning that didn't make sense to me. I saw some criticism of that move online, and I thought, wait a minute. That actually seems like a smart move if you yeah. you know it, given the, their store count if you've got some underperforming stores and get rid of them. Yeah, I mean I, I look at you know the Container Store versus Coach. I mean the Container Store is continuing to open stores and Coach is closing them. I mean honestly for two businesses that need to you know figure out how to turn things around, I much prefer to see what Coach is doing uh, as opposed to you know opening more. Mm-hmm. You put something out on Twitter about this? Oh, I did. Yeah, I always love getting getting feedback from the folks on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, I said if you have to buy shares of one company and hold it for the next three years, uh, you know, either the Container Store or Coach, which one are you buying and why? And I've already gotten like a lot of really good responses. Um, first one from at TMF Biggles. 
can I see what's behind door number three? So I don't think he likes either of them. <laughs> no, I like that no, one. That's yeah. good. Um, from at Armo Tweets, and I'll just add that's my lovely wife, Robin. Yeah. Uh, she says, Coach, largely due to their men's line, also at least I can stand to go into a coach storefront. So I think she may have she... just telegraphed what your next birthday present is. <laughs> well, she, she did she give me a pretty been... sweet coach briefcase a few years ago. It's worked out pretty well. Uh, and then one here from at JPSC01. I love this. I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to get him in trouble. But he says, Coach, my wife and sister-in-law are driving them back to profitability. And one inspired designer could move the goalposts. I, I think you know this may be a situation where one, two, three years down the line, we look at the container store and say, that was the low point. I could, you know, I could see investors looking at this and saying, look, if they're, if they're you know, you've got a, a founder in Kip Tyndall, this could be the turnaround point. So I could see sort of holding those shares, but I think if I'm, and I don't own shares of either, but I think given what we talked about with Coach and just sort of the, you know, they are an established brand. They are also in a price war that they don't want to be in with Michael Kors and Kate Spade, but they, but they do have, they're further along the maturity scale than the container store is, and and that's a, a big part of why I think I would I would go with that over the container store. What about you, Tony? Well, uh, I can't pretend that containers are in my circle of confidence. I have no <laughs> idea your, why anyone would spend money on a container. Your organizational uh, philosophy here, what was it you said before we started? I, I have a series of piles, <laughs> right. and I know what is in each one, so I, I do just fine on my own. Uh, but yeah, looking at the, the debt on container store's balance sheet, uh, I could see a scenario where a few years from now we do look at this as a low point, but given that debt level, I'd be a little leery of, of that. Yeah, you know, I still have a handful of coach shares that I bought years ago, so uh, you know, I'm going to continue to hold them just because I I can see sort of a light at the end of the tunnel here, but I I'm, I feel very safe in saying I will never own shares of the Container Store. All right, Tony Arsta, Jason Moser, thanks for being here, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.